listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode two. 161 first friday q a y'all yeah awesome man it's been so long since we recorded i know <laughs> so i'll let you audience in a little secret you know how Paige and i struggle to get episodes out every week well we actually recorded two back to back so dude. we just recorded one a few yeah. minutes ago but don't tell him i shh <laughs> just real quick i want to throw this real quick before we get into the questions and everything this is from juan Mark, great podcast. Awesome. Can you link me with Julianne Clement, the person you butchered her name? <laughs> the person asking about the donation to provide welding train. I work for a major midstream company. I have welding inspection background. So I connected the two and they're working together. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, Oil and Gas This Week does a lot of different things, but sometimes it brings two people together to help other underprivileged people. That's which is great. One of the most beautiful things in the world. So Juan, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for listening. And audience, you know what? When you hear me say stuff, if you want to play a role, reach out because we will make the connection. We'll make it happen. Well, and by we, he means him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm no, not nearly as connected. Well, I'm not nearly as connected as you are. You literally know everyone. I don't know everyone. I feel like it's everyone. Anyway, we have a review. It's five stars. You want to read? Loving it. Five stars. Hey, O A G T W team. Oil and gas this week team. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say that I really appreciate all the effort you put into your shows. I generally look forward to your podcast every other week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're That's, gonna try to get back. No, you know what? We should just change our name to Oil and Gas. Next, Every other week. Next week. <laughs> We're working on that. Listen to you both has done a lot to challenge and change previous misconceptions I had about the industry. I'm really interested in the finance investment side of the industry. I have a few questions. Are there any good indexes for new rig starts? How many existing rigs are currently having their capital equipment upgrade? Yes, but you have to pay for it. You have to go IHS. What is the typical lead time for an onshore rig? Man, they've gotten around where they're moving those rigs in They days. move themselves. Yeah, they move themselves. But now they're doing it in days. It used to yeah. be weeks. How important is the influence of Wall Street in limiting large production increases? Extremely important. I.e. the shift from growth to focus to profitability focus. Yep, you're exactly right. That's what's limiting capital. Since hydrocarbons do ultimately represent a finite resource, no, they don't. They're still being made. Are any of the super majors taking steps to diversify revenue streams, create a more resistant billion? Yeah, they're dipping their toe in the renewable. I mean, you see it going on right now. They're also looking at hydrocarbons in a different way, such as things of stripping ammonia or hydrogen out of natural gas. But anyway, great review, Connor. Thank you very much. And let me talk just a little bit about that finite. Hydrocarbons are finite. They're not. So... They're not being made in the same rate as hydrocarbons are made in the Jurassic and Pleistocene area. But right now, you go to the Gulf of Mexico, you go to the Mediterranean, even to the Bering Sea, hydrocarbons are still being made. Same process, right? So the sun will run out of hydrogen before we run out of hydrocarbons is all you need to worry about. But anyway, love the review. This is First Friday Q&A. And as often, not always, as often, our first question is from Ludwig. <laughs> it is. Shall we set up together a geopolitics show? We have completely different visions. Might be fun. I don't care about gas from Russia. <laughs> yes, Putin is proving that it doesn't matter who is voting. It matters who counts the votes. <laughs> so true, Ludwig. It would be fun to do something with you, except we already have a geopolitical show in the works. But, Louis, I wouldn't mind if we come up with something that makes sense. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of time, but you've been a fan of the show for a long time. And if we could do something together. That um, would be cool. It would be cool, yeah. So maybe you and I should chat. Which, by the way, I don't think I've ever spoken to him in person. It's all been via text or 
Yeah, so Ludwig, maybe we should jump on a Teams call and just so we could talk in person. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so the first question comes from Nick. Hi, Mark. Love the show. I'm going to send this similar message to page two, which I did receive. I am retiring Special Forces Army officer, and I love the oil and gas industry. Something else I have a great passion for is maps, map making, and exploration. This short note is an outreach to you and Paige to see if you could help me find the right place in the oil and gas industry that could use my unique talents for leadership, expedition, management, tenancy, and other officer and military strength with a great oil and gas company. Thanks again for all of the great news and content on our podcast. Any help you can offer is greatly appreciated. Nick. Yeah, Nick, thanks for writing and reaching out. And just so you know, it's hoorah, not hoorah. <laughs> <laughs> No, Nick, seriously. So I tell you what's uh, really interesting. You came from this map making point of view. So one of the problems that this entire industry has is mapping its existing infrastructure. Lately, some technology has made it much easier, things like LIDAR and drones, even satellite imagery. But still, somebody has to sit and draw where every pipe is, where every rock is, where every culvert, gas line, whatever. So you ought to reach out to some of the companies that do that. There's three or four. Check out ESRI.com. Also check out any of the companies that are doing GIS because they have typically a physical component of those GIS surveys. So, you know, a couple of companies out there that actually would probably like to talk to you, especially if you have a map making background. This industry is probably one of the few industries where you know, huge paper <laughs> maps still get rolled out in the hood of trucks so people can figure out where stuff is. So hopefully it helped, and thank you for your service. Okay, so the next question is from Joshua Protain, petroleum engineering student at AM. Howdy, Mark and Paige. I am a junior petroleum engineering student at Texas A&M, and I am struggling with finding an internship in the industry. What resources do y'all recommend, or can you help me with the struggle? Thank you, and love what y'all do. Yeah. So Joshua, first thing, you sort of miss the intern season. The thing about internships is they award it way earlier than everybody thinks they are, especially if you're trying to work for one of the super majors or big service companies, right? So most of those internships, we're, you know, halfway through March, most of those internships were put out in February for the summer, right? A couple things, think outside the box. So quit applying for internships at the big companies. Most of those have already been taken, although there's a chance that somebody has to back out and they would have an opening for you. Instead, I would actually look at the companies that try to sell to the oil and gas companies. Look at some of the tech companies. Look at the companies that provide pipe or rental tools or you know, anything else out there. Literally get a phone book of Midland, Texas, and almost every company in there services the oil and gas industry and get an internship there. Number one, it's going to get you the experience that you want, even though you're not working for an oil and gas company and you're a petroleum engineering student. How cool is it if you were doing an internship at Microsoft helping them figure out well levels using AI, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good experience. Then I don't know where you are in school, but if you're you know a freshman or a sophomore or a junior, Next year, he's a junior. He's a, oh, he is a junior, right? So, all right. So, next year, you'll be a senior. Reach out to myself at the very late of this year. So, reach out to me around December of this year and let's see if I can help you get set up for internship for 2023. What's interesting, someone actually asked me about this a while back and I saw a bunch of stuff on Indeed that's still open. So, you might want to try that. We know where to look, you can find them. I just think you're just a little bit too late to the game. But, like I said, reach out to the companies that sell products or service to the oil and gas industry. Okay, so the next one, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry. Philip Seika? Philippe. Philippe? Yeah. Yeah. Consulting engineer, Brian Research and Engineering. I deeply enjoy listening to your podcast. I would like to hear Mark's thought about renewables in Europe and corn to ethanol business in the U.S. Warm hug. Do you really want to hear it? <laughs> <laughs> the ethanol business in the U.S. is a sham. 
It's not supported by anything other than government subsidies. It's not good for the environment. It's not actually good for your engine. The only people who are benefit from it are, number one, the farmers that are being paid by the government to grow corn in the middle of the country to make ethanol. And then number two, the automobile manufacturers that produce E85 vehicles that tend to be bought on the east and west coast. So they can't even get the E85 fuel <laughs> that's in the middle of the country. So that just needs to go away here in the U.S. Renewables in Europe, it's really interesting. I tell you what, I've never seen so many cold flower power plants being built that I have in the last year. (laughs) Unfortunately, a lot of the renewable sentiment, both politics and money investments in Europe has decimated their ability to produce abundant, clean, reliable energy. And it's winter and people are freezing to death. And we have all over $100 a barrel and maybe Mm -hmm. the beginning of the Third World War. And all of a sudden the country goes, oh, my God. We can't provide energy to our people. So they're frantically building coal fire power plants, uh, doing the same thing in Germany. Now, the cool thing about it is they don't talk about it, and they call it something different. So they say it's a combination plant. It's not just going to be using coal to produce electricity. It's also going to produce heat. Duh. It's always produce heat. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to greenwash the fact that basically your politicians made mistakes and try to move to renewables too quick, and now all of a sudden the, the European people are suffering. I saw that electricity prices have almost doubled in some parts of Europe. Gosh. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And what's happening already is you know, the fertilizer prices are going up. You yeah. can see food go up. Ukraine feeds a lot of the world. So does Russia, right? Well, that's all offline right now. So it is not going to be pretty. And I love renewables. They have their spot. They have their place in our energy mix. But to try to force something because it meets your political objectives other than trying to help your people is just wrong. Yep. So honestly, I hope they get these coal-fired power plants built as quickly as possible. I hope Europe thinks about its energy strategy moving forward. In the places where it makes sense, absolutely renewable. So geothermal, hydro, wind. In the place it doesn't make sense, build natural gas or nuclear-fired electrical plants, please. Best thing you do for the environment, it keeps you from having – to depend on Russia for energy for your people. And it's just better for everybody. So hopefully, Philippe, that answers your question. All right. Well, Corey Vickers would like to know, how do they get an invitation to the industry mixer? It's a secret, Corey. And if we tell you, we'd have to kill you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, it's it's not a secret, Corey. A couple things. If you sign up for any of our industry mixers, you're already on the list. So we have multiple email lists. And so you'll be notified. The other thing is you go to modalpoint.com, sign up for the oil and gas events newsletter. Actually, Corey, the link is also in this podcast. So just open your phone or whatever you're listening to this show on, scroll down, you'll see the link to sign up for the oil and gas events newsletter, sign up there, or follow us on LinkedIn. All of those will get you invitations to our mixer. So hopefully that was helpful. Yes. All right. So the next one is from, I'm sorry, Stephanie, but Stephanie Hodge-Dusik. I think I did it. I think I did it. We'll see. I wanted to share with you that I recently started an organization to help educate high school girls on the opportunities available to them in non-traditional male-dominated occupations. Right on. I have helped organize an initiative to take groups of junior-senior high school girls to the Women in Industry Conference that is being held in Galveston on March 24th. With the industrial growth along the Texas Gulf Coast, opportunities truly are endless, and I want to help create awareness about these high-paying jobs among girls who are nearly high school graduation and aren't sure what comes next. So far, we have every high school in San Patricio County sponsored by a local industry partner. The response has been truly amazing. I'd like to invite you guys to view our website at www.thisonesforthegals.com when you get a chance. Our goal is to bring a conference like this further south, but until then, we are going to work with 
get as many girls to this conference as we can. As we continue to grow this initiative, we'd love to be able to share it on your podcast and your network. Thank you so much for your time and consideration. So I reached out to Stephanie. Yeah. We're going to partner with her. Awesome. This is such a great cause. And she's such a wonderful person that we're going to do something with this. Not sure what yet, but everybody right now type in www.thisones with an S for the gals, gals.com and donate something, show up, bring your daughters. This is just an yes. incredible thing that she's doing. And Paige, she's not doing this for a living. Right? She works in the industry. She's doing this to try to give back. That's excellent. So we're going to support you, Stephanie. Still haven't figured out what that is. I had a call with her, but this is a wonderful thing. All right. So the next one's from Hans Johnson. Hi, can you explain how much Russian oil the U.S. imports, how it is used, and how it can be replaced? Thanks. All right. So when you look at all the oil that we import at the most, at the very most, Russia is about 8%, not 80, 8%. So it's less than 10% of the oil. So you would think it'd be easy to replace, but here's the issue. Oil and hydrocarbons in general, but oil specifically is one of the true global commodities. That's why it's exactly the same price today in Houston, Rio de Janeiro, and Tokyo, because it can be moved around for almost nothing. So what's happening is the Russian oil has come off the market, which means that the countries that buy it, not us, only 8% of our imports come from Russia, but other countries, 60 or 70% of the oil comes from Russia. They have to get that oil from somewhere else. Well, when they get that oil from somewhere else, it decreases the supply for everybody else. So that's what's going on right now. That's why the prices are so high is the fact that you can't magically just increase production. And then quite frankly, there's not a lot of options for the world. You have OPEC saying they can increase production, but they don't want to. I don't believe that at all. I think they're just about maxed out. The one country that could increase production dramatically and literally take not only over what Russia puts in the world market, but even OPEC if we wanted to, is us, the U.S., but our political environment will not let that happen, not now anyway. So it's just going to be a rough ride. And then what's happening is there's a lot of fear in the market because of the fighting between Ukraine and Russia. So that's adding to the cost of everything is that people are worried about their investments. So let's see how much Russia oil is in the U.S. is not much, like I said, 8%. How is it used? It's used. It's a heavy, complex crude. Our refineries love it. And how will it be replaced? It's going to be replaced with whatever barrel makes the most financial sense. Yeah. All right. So the next one's from Joseph Brody. After watching a video from oil price videos, I'm concerned that the U.S. oil industry is dragging its feet when it comes to responding to the increased oil demand. The video quotes many oil executives, open quote, whether it's $100.50 oil, $200.50 oil, or $100 oil, we're not going to change our growth plans, end quote. Scott Sheffield, chief ex executive of Pioneer Natural Resources. All right, Joseph, I'm not picking on you. But you and everybody else that's listened to this that is worried that the oil and gas industry is not increasing supply quick enough, you need to work on your energy literacy. You're part of the problem. So what happens is our industry as a whole has been here in the U.S. and in Europe has been vilified for a very long time. And our current political administration here in the U.S. has made it very clear they're anti-oil and gas, right? So... The other thing that's happened is traditionally, remember, in the U.S., most of the operators that produce hydrocarbons are small and independent. They need access to capital. So somebody like Exxon or Chevron has their own capital. They don't need to borrow money to drill. However, most of the oil that's produced comes from companies that need to borrow money. Well, up until recently, the strategy was all about growth. So you would borrow money. You would drill a well, you would use those production numbers, those financial models to show the bank that you were worth more money. They would loan you more money to drill another well and so on and so on. 
that couldn't go on forever. It's almost like a Ponzi scheme. So what happens is the investor market told the oil and gas industry very clearly in 2019, 2018, 2019, is that we don't want your strategy to be growth anymore. We want your strategy to be profitable. So if I give you a million dollars, I want to be able to get that money back with a little bit of interest, right? So what Scott Shelf is talking about, this entire industry has figured out that for now, their growth plans is profitable growth, not just growing. And what he's saying right here is very, it makes 100% sense and is the right thing to do, is no matter what the price of oil is, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to jeopardize my company's shareholder value, my employees' jobs, or even the way we interface with the world geopolitically, just because all of a sudden everybody wants oil because they're paying too much money at the pump. The other thing is you cannot go in production overnight. It takes years. If our current political administration was totally behind the oil and gas industry, which they're not, the very best time frame that we could get production back up to make a difference was going to be a year from now. So it be 2023. So nobody's dragging their feet. Remember, the oil and gas industry is full of companies that are there to make a profit, just like Walmart, just like Ford, just like Tesla. They're not there for public service, right? So it's we can't just turn on the tap. The oil and gas industry is not dragging its feet. It takes a lot of time and money just to go in production somewhere. And the and, permitting is out the wazoo. Yeah, that, so. I mean, it could take you six or eight months to get a permit. That's the very beginning of all the stuff you have to do. So this is what happens when you have bad politics hit a real world, hit a real market, is you have high pump prices, high gas prices, high crude oil prices, global conflict. If we were back to where it was in 2017, 2016, 2017, where we had tons of production here, we could easily adapt to this. So, Joseph, not picking on you, like I said, but you need to understand that the industry is not dragging its feet. It can't move that quickly, right? And at the same time, it has to be done with real business rules. I mean, there's laws for public companies around ethical reporting and, and right. making profits and everything else. So. The oil and gas industry is actually doing everything it's can. What's happened is all the stuff that's hurt us the last couple of years has come together in this perfect storm, and all of a sudden the consumers are suffering. All right. The next one is from Joseph Leyland, chemical engineering student at Kansas State University. Hi, Mark and Paige. I'm a chemical engineering student at K-State, and I thoroughly enjoy listening to your podcast so much that I have listened during most of my spring break trip to Panama City, Florida. I am preparing for an internship with Flint Hills Resources at the refinery in Corpus Christi. What advice would you impart to make this opportunity a success? Thanks. Joseph, go drink some beer and chase some girls instead of listening to our <laughs> show on spring break. But I appreciate you. I mean, that's actually pretty cool. Internships at Flint. So the first thing, congratulations for getting one. Second thing, my probably first bit of advice is you need to meet as many people that are not directly into your job function at Flint as you can. So literally, once you get comfortable enough, once you know the layout of the building, where your desk is, all that stuff, find out where marketing is, find out where finance is, find out where accounts payable are. Go meet those people. Take them for a cup of coffee. Ask them about their job. Ask them about working at Flint. The quicker you go wide and make more connections inside of Flint, number one, People are going to appreciate you as an intern because most interns won't do that. Number two, it's going to give you opportunities in the future when you don't need an internship but a job. And number three, it's just a fun thing to do. So my number one suggestion is as soon as you get comfortable, go wide and meet as many people as you can. Now, my number two suggestion is whoever your management is, once again, once you get comfortable, ask them for some stretch goals. Like there may be three or four things they want you to do every week, but what's the one thing you could do that would really wow them? Ask them that question and then go after that stretch goal and pull it off. So if you could just do those two things, I think they go a long way with your new internship. I was just going to say networking, network, network, never stop networking. Even if it's people with outside of Flint, 
meet the other people too. Yeah, that is really important for not just internships, but for everybody in the industry. Paige and I literally have time carved out in our calendars just for networking. Now, networking is not showing up just so you get free drinks. Networking is going oh, out. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> networking is going out, meeting interesting people and seeing if you can help them. The benefit to you always comes later. Okay, next question is from Jacqueline Mercy, project manager at Chevron Phillips. How long do you think what's going on with Russia and Ukraine will keep pump prices high? Love your show. So if they had a ceasefire tomorrow and if they signed a peace treaty the next day, pump prices in the U.S. are going to stay high for the rest of this year. If this conflict gets stretched out, which unfortunately I think it will, we could see high pump prices all the way through 2023. I know nobody wants to hear that. It's the reality of the situation. You know, there's a couple of things we could do that the government could do to lower pump prices. One is put a freeze on federal tax. About 30% of the cost of your gallon of fuel here in the U.S. is federal taxes. So you'd automatically drop the prices 30%. The problem is we've spent so much money in this country, we can't afford not to have the federal taxes come in, right? Because it pays the bills. Right. So unfortunately, was it Jacqueline, you're going to see high pump prices the rest of this year and probably part of next year. The earliest I see that calming down is when the summer fuel blend comes out in 2023, which would be around April or May. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one's from Drew Stump, geology graduate student, Colorado School of Mines. Why is OPEC and the U.S. not amping up production? Is it not the right time in order to help Europe wing off the reliance of Russian oil and gas? Are you friends with Joseph Brody, who just has other questions? I'm telling you. <laughs> No, so Drew, just to answer your question again, first thing, I don't think OPEC can ramp up production. I think they're maxed out. We could map up, we could ramp up production if all the political, legal, and financial roadblocks were not in our way. Unfortunately, not only are they in our way, they're actually getting worse. If you listen to the show at any time, last couple months, you hear us over and over again how the federal government's limiting leases, is revoking already approved permits. Now they're singing a different story, but the industry, and myself included, doesn't believe them. Yeah, Don't tell me you don't like the industry and you're trying to hurt this industry. And then all of a sudden, when the price at the pump gets high and people start complaining and you're worried about being reelected, that you turn and do 180 degree. I don't believe that at all. Which one's the truth? Do you really want to get rid of oil and gas or do you really want us to help increase production? It can't be both. Yeah. So it is the right time to help Europe get rid of their reliance on Russian oil and gas. And we could do it if our politicians would get out of the way. And this is not a political show. I don't. I hate talking politics. Me it's the, too. It's the truth of the matter. So, which by the way, Drew, love the Colorado School of Mines. Would love to come up there. You should invite us to come up there and do some live podcasts. Or oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. It's been a minute since we've been. All right, final question is from Brenda Skye, natural gas markets research strategist, Total Energies. Paige, I love how you were real about where you shop for clothes from the woman that wrote in and called you two the power couple of hydrocarbons. It's refreshing to have an attractive and smart public figure not shy away from the fact that she shops at Amazon and does her own hair and makeup. Y'all are making me blush. <laughs> have you ever thought about doing some videos of your routine? I'd be way more interested in learning from you than some 19-year-old influencer who's never had to put mascara on in the car or dress to not freeze to death in the cube farm. Yeah, I've thought about it in the past. I have a pretty typical routine. I guess I could list what I use. I don't know. That's not really my jam. Would you be up to do a little short video about your routine? I'm kind of a hippie. <laughs> 
I'm not going to lie. So it's not a consistent routine. It's just I hope I don't fall asleep with makeup on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, maybe. Let me think about it. So and, audiences, um, if y'all like to actually sincerely like to see Paige's routine, shoot some videos, let us know. If enough of y'all want to do it, I'll try to convince her to do it. And then maybe we'll donate that money to charity or something. Okay. I don't know where money would become involved in it, but yeah. Anyway, she goes on to ask, Mark, what is going to happen the rest of 2022? Okay, so you get seven sentences and I get three words. Oh, you got all the other <laughs> questions, dude. Calm down, calm down. Anyway, she says, Mark, what's going to happen the rest of 2022 with national gas prices? And I got to say, this is the best oil and gas podcast out there. Please keep up the awesome work. Thanks, Brenda. Yeah, so Brenda, Nat Gas Prices are st- wait, you're the market research. That's literally your title, Nat Gas Market <laughs> Research Strategist. <laughs> well, maybe she needs to know what's really going on, Mark. So Brenda, this is what I think. I'd love to know what you think. Nat gas prices are gonna stay high for years. I think the world's gonna figure out that it needs natural gases to generate electricity. I think the infrastructure is gonna be approved, especially in Europe, to build offloading terminals and regasification plants. All this is gonna take time. But you know, Rex Tillerson, rightly so, although he was wrong for a while, really thought natural gas was the fuel of the future. He made that investment XTO. It looked like he was right for a while. And then the last six or seven years, it looked like he was really wrong. There's no way he knew we were going to have this Russian-Ukraine thing happen. But looks like he may be right. I think that natural gas is a fuel of the future. So unfortunately, because supplies could be limited until middle to the end of 2023, prices are going to stay high for the rest of this year. That's it. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Speaking of that's it, if you want a place to go work, go to Canon, go to the front desk, say you're with OGGN, they give you a free day pass to hang out there. It's a really cool place. No IBM shirts, although we're working on an IBM giveaway that is round and coin-like. And then finally, weekly recount page, where are we? Well, since we just recorded an episode back-to-back, you're going to get March 11th numbers. So the United States at 663, up 13. Canada is down 11 at 206. Internationally, we're at 813 and down 28. Awesome. What else is awesome? Join our LinkedIn page. Go to LinkedIn, join. You'll find out all the stuff we're doing. Meet some really cool peeps. See some cool content. And get an invitation to our industry mixer. Oh, and get invitation to our mixers, right. And while you're out there, just go ahead and find the website, either OGGN.com or Oil & Gas This Week. If you would like to submit a question for a show like this, First Friday Q&A, go ahead and do it. We'll read your question on the air. You'll get a big shout out. And just remember, folks, the, the goal is not to stump us, just to help educate the audience. And then if you'd like myself or any of our experts to come to your event, to moderate a panel, to bring a live podcast, let us know. Happy to share the details. Also, check out the link in the show notes for the monthly oil and gas events newsletter. That is completely free. Whew, a lot going on. Ready to get out of here? I am. All right. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Slava Ukraini. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.